You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative, and here to talk with me about the assembled Avengers, well, at least after Endgame, is John Mills. Indeed. I'm here in this idyllic town to talk to you, Matt, about the assembled Avengers and everything that happened afterward. After one played, say, an Endgame. Yes. Uh, Well, uh, after the Avengers broke up, I guess. I mean, people died, people left, you know, so... Listen, Matt, uh, even the Beatles broke up, okay? We can't hold on to the past forever. This is true. Anyway, um, well, uh, it's going to be so fascinating as we start walking through series four, phase four, whatever you want to call it, that is happening. Uh, and we actually know that phase four is going to end soon, which is uh, <laughs> crazy. Uh, that's a question that we didn't know uh, when we were uh, doing this show originally here and we got through all three phases and we we're like, well, we don't even know when phase four has an ending, but we do know it actually ends as we're recording this this year uh, in 2022 with Wakanda Forever Black Panther. So wait, I thought that yeah. came out in 23. It that comes out in 2022. No, it comes out this year in November. So, oh, why did yes. I? Th- oh, because I was thinking of the first one with with February. You listen, yes. yeah. the big deluge of stuff we've had so long to go without that giant Marvel deluge of content in the movie theaters that I, I legitimately got turned all sorts of around about what's happening because now I know we're, we're going to build the civil, not civil war. We already had civil war. We already had infinity gauntlet. We're going to build the secret war, secret war, uh, the Kang dynasty. I mean, that's, that's what we're actually building towards. So at least it's, it's nice to be, um, confirmed uh, actually what we're trying to do uh so that's fantastic so i guess we can keep that in mind as we look here at phase four as well but before we do that thank you so much for joining us here in the 602 clubs assembling avengers we're excited to be back Uh, make sure that you do a few things you know subscribe wherever you get your podcast wherever you're listening to this subscribe so you get the show as soon as it drops if you're on a podcatcher any of those type of places that allows you to review or rate, please do that with the 602 Club. We would really appreciate it. Share us with your friends on social media. You can follow us at the 602 Club or on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. We'd love to interact with you that way. Of course, you could find us online at Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm or the entire network. There's the listeners only discussion group you can check out called the Babel Conference. And go to trek.fm and see all that we're doing across the entire network. Last but not least, uh, we really appreciate it if you would go over to Patreon and become one of our patrons. Uh, we can't do this without you, and we need your help. So you can go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team. Okay, so John, I think as I was thinking through like how to even start this, I, I came up with a question because phase four starts completely differently than all of the other phases. Because we're not starting in the theater. We're starting on D+. And so, 
how did that sit with you as, you know, we get this news and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to start doing TV shows. And our, in fact, our first phase four thing is going to be WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. It seemed logical at the time because of the fact that everybody was in the fever of everything must become streaming. Everything must be on our our different apps and everything. And so when they announced mm-hmm. it, it what I wasn't shocked. It was, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess this is what we're doing now. And it cuz it sure seemed at the time that that just what was that was what everybody was going to do. They were going to fully embrace that nobody was ever going to go to a movie theater again and it was all about getting content on your platforms. Cool. I was on board with it. And I after the Mandalorian, it seemed like that really was the way to go because okay, we got serialized storytelling here. It works. So, what what about you? What was your general reaction to it? It seemed a little bit odd to me, you know, to take the cinematic universe, the Marvel cinematic universe, and make it less cinematic because it was going to be playing at home. Uh, To me, it was an odd choice just because this whole thing had been built in the movie theaters. And I I think it was also a little bit strange to me just because I was not sure how much of the momentum you would be able to keep. It is much easier to get people to go to the theater to watch a movie, especially when they've been trained to do so, like, you know, Pavlov's fan. Uh, You know, Mm. you just, we got a new Marvel movie come out, everybody go to see it, makes a billion dollars, and we move on to the next one. Um, You know, but one of the things that we'd always mentioned is that this series had already seemed almost like a television show. Mm-hmm. And so now we were literally just going to make television shows with it. And yet I, I honestly, I, you know, yes, the Mandalorian did great and everything, but I mean, I'd already seen how star Wars could work on television really well with the clone wars and everything. And, but I just wasn't sure how this would fit in. Like you're now requiring people to not only see every movie, would have to watch every show, which is not just two hours of their time, but is, you know, six to ten hours of their time. To be fair, it was also during the, you know, there were other factors at play where it sure seemed people were going to be spending a lot more time at home, you know, for for an (laughs) indeterminate amount of time. And so, you know, I, I mean, regardless of anybody's feelings on anything, that's just the way the world was. Sure. And so, yeah. I don't think that that necessarily sways that because mm-hmm. as we get into it, WandaVision always seemed very much built for this medium. And I think that uh, a question that sort of springs naturally from this, I'm not trying to get ahead of ourselves here. Feel, feel free to course correct me or anything. But the question that immediately pops to mind for me is encountering this material without getting too deep into it. Do you feel, do you think, does it strike you as likely that this was a movie that they adapted for streaming, or does this strike you as something that was always intended for streaming? Uh, No, I don't think that jumps ahead too much. I mean, because there's another question there that I definitely want to get to closer to the end, but I, I, I never really considered that, whether or not this felt like a movie that they turned into a show. 
And I would say that I think that this does feel like something that they approached through the lens of it being on television. So much more of it is is less of the massive spectacle that you get, except for the finale of the show. And, and it feels more like a TV show. And then, of course, you know, I mean, there's the whole concept of this show, which is your walking through television history with Wanda and Vision as you kind of revisit, you know, classics like the Dick Van Dyke show and the Brady Bunch and, you know, uh, yada, 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 uh, and all the way up to, you know, like, say, Modern, modern Family. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing that. Um, and so it, it, it almost felt like, to me, the idea was, hey, we're doing this on TV, we have this idea, and this is the perfect way to kind of sell why this show should be on Disney Plus because it's feels like it's supposed to be a celebration of television in and of itself, just as we visit these different eras, which, you know, I mean, all the kids watching, half of them haven't seen any of these shows, so it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I mean, honestly, I think we're the last generation, you and I, that really would get you know, the Dick Van Dyke show, uh, unless your parents are just really good parents and they made you, you know, watch great television. So, and the Dick Van Dyke show stands, it remains as one of the greatest television shows in history. 100%. I will, I will 100%. have that fight. I will go, I will go down swinging on as that fight should. 100% <laughs> of the time because Dick Van Dyke is literally somebody who's a once in a hundred year talent. And the the supporting cast as well. That's not to to slight the cast at all. And I know this is no, sort of a rabbit hole. The entire cast of that show is couldn't have been better. I, it, it couldn't. It couldn't have. It, it was it was writing, casting, everything was right. It was that was the medium of television during the black and white era, firing on every yes. possible cylinder 100%. at the same time. Absolutely amazing show. But so that said, how do you feel about that? I mean, you know, let's flip it around. What, do you feel like this felt like a, a show? that are a movie that they had turned into a show? No, but that's because this conceit, I don't think works in a two hour movie. Mm -hmm. It could, but I think the episodic nature of a series is necessary for this conceit even to work because you can jump from hour to hour and it feels like a natural progression and natural breaking points because it's a different show every right. time. Yep. Yep. Where yep. I yep. come at it with the conceit is something you touch on about okay, you and me, we saw these sorts of shows in reruns as kids growing up because UHF stations had to show something when I was a latchkey kid in the summer. So that's how I right. saw all the classic television was all the stuff that cost them two cents to run. They they threw it up there. Now, to invert what you're talking about, I had to have somebody tell me that it was a modern family reference because I never watched that show. And for a hot minute, it took me a little bit of brain power to say, oh, yeah, Malcolm in the middle, because mm-hmm. that show yep. I'd forgotten even existed until. Yep this made reference to it. So I think the challenge here with the conceit is there's no way for it to navigate the 
deluge of 60 years worth of content and format changes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I, th- I want to ask you, I mean, I think it works a little bit to the detriment of the concept of the show. Sure. How do you feel about it? Do you think that this was the right concept for them to go for? Yeah. I think that in the sense of storytelling, it works. But I think what it does for them is that it creates this desire for them to pretty much spend an entire episode per show they're mimicking. And they become, I think, a little bit too enamored with their own concept and premise. And it doesn't... A lot of these episodes, I feel like, just should have been combined. Mm. Because I didn't feel the need for there to be so many episodes, especially, I'd say, like, the first two. You know, you could put those together. Um, And find a way to combine, I think, a lot of the other episodes. And, and it would have been more interesting, I think, too, because it would have been, it would have had more of that jarring effect to to let you know, even from the beginning, that something's not right here by having the whole visual framework of the show change mid-episode, where you're like, Wow, that that's kind of a whiplash, you know, to go from Dick Van Dyke to the Brady Bunch, you know, that quickly. The the same way in which, you know, they do the whiplash of like the kids growing themselves up, you know. Uh that's great, but I just feel like they're kind of so enamored with their own conceit and and their own concept that it doesn't allow them to see that they don't actually need these episodes to be separate. They could combine a lot of these things and make for a shorter series because this is a nine episode series. And I'll, I'll say is that there's no need for this to be nine episodes at all. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I would offer that it's enough to go generic so that people understand the time periods being referenced. So because black Mm -hmm. and white television, Dick Van Dyke is, is top of the pops for that. But so is I Love Lucy, which is an amazing sitcom in its own right. You can hit an era and people will know what you're going for without it being quite so specific. And I would go a step further and say a wonderful twist would have been instead of having entire episodes dedicated to each moment in time, as it were, to have the final minute suddenly the aesthetic changes to mm-hmm. generic 70s sitcom look. So that mm-hmm. at the imagine at the end of that first episode, everything's going through with black and white. You're like, well, this is weird. What's happening? This is this is odd. Okay, this is like a Dick Van Dyke episode. And all of a sudden at the end is Brady Bunch. And that and then credits one minute later. Right. That would have left you on your heels saying, Wait, what just happened? And I think would have prepared you for the idea that it was flipping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe even a little bit better. Now, the thing is, I'm not trying to rewrite the show, obviously. I'm just saying that I think that we're both hitting on the fact that it's an interesting concept, difficult mm-hmm. to execute. And it, I'd say that in terms of the concept, the tiny frustrating part about it for me is it's almost there. 
Like it's right there. Like I'm with them. And I think that's why I stick with the show all the way through is because it's interesting and it's different. And I like what they're trying. It's just, you know, if you're going to have an honest assessment, you have to give your honest assessment of things. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, the thing that made this interesting to start phase four on is because we are, the whole thematic element here is grief and dealing with grief. And of course, you know, Wanda is representative of one of the Avengers who has lost a lot. Not just because of Infinity War and Endgame, but her entire life. And so to have this ability then to kind of come into this new phase and to deal with the reality of grief... Which is also interesting because, you know, it's then somewhat representative of the entire world where people have just popped back into place, you know. And so you've got worldwide grief happening. You know, they don't touch on that too much. But, you know, this kind of gives you a, a framework there. How how do you feel like that ends up working here in the show? Because it's really the main thrust of the show, especially by the end. It works okay. I'm... I have a difficult time, and the thing is, this is where I might jump ahead. I don't know. I'm not trying to, but... I understand it's talking about grief. I understand and knowing where it goes, and I might have felt differently earlier in the series until I got to the end. But in all honesty, what's difficult about this is rightly so because she's the main character it gives uh primacy to wanda's grief which makes sense she's our main character we're spending the time with her we care about what she's going through but at the same time i don't think that it does a good enough job conveying that everybody is grieving through this and that I think undercuts it a bit because it gives so much emphasis on one aspect of grief as opposed to the fact that it's multifaceted, that it comes in stages. Right. And as a result, because they're so caught up in the concept of everything. I think that we don't ever see Wanda actually progress through those five stages that we all mm-hmm. know, right? You know, it's a, you know, uh, uh, a denial, anger, depression, bargaining, acceptance. And we go through those phases in different, different ways and in different order. But those five phases are pretty much agreed upon as pretty much what people are going through when they're grieving. Yes. And I don't see Wanda going through those. And I think that would have really helped the series is you could have kept this concept to your point, shrunk it down to five or six episodes and had each chunk represent a stage Mm -hmm. where she's working through until at the end where we are at acceptance 
and it feels I would argue that it would have felt more earned than what we get mm-hmm. with the final product. Yeah. I I think that you've really hit on something that's really key to the show, which is the idea of what they're going for. Uh the idea of understanding grief and how to deal with it is really important, right? And, you know, I I think there is actually something that's really beautiful in the show. Um, You know, Wanda is having that moment where she's going through everything with Agnes and she's reliving that moment where vision tells her that what is grief, but love preserving, you know, that it's, it's this, it's this loss of the person that you loved and that continuation of the love, but without the person there, that that's what that is. And I think that's really beautiful. And I think it's, it's absolutely true and it's really poignant and everything. But I think what you touched upon is the thing that really, I think, hurts the show is that Wanda never moves from one place to another in her grief. She stays in the same place. And by never moving, it's also what makes her unlikable by the end of the season, because there's been no movement for her. She's not she's not sorry really for what she's done. Uh she doesn't really even almost seem to care about what she's done. Uh and uh you know, we're we're left with this invitation from Monica Rambo where she says, "Oh, they'll never know what you gave up for them." Uh, so we're supposed to only think about Wanda in this situation as if she's the only victim here, except that she's not the victim. She's the perpetrator of an incredible evil on an entire town of people who would rather die, literally rather die than be under her control anymore. So mm-hmm. it's yep. it, you're you're a hundred percent right. Is that this show? never gets us to that point. And frustratingly, that is kind of the point because that's what leads us into, of course, the multiverse of madness and she's got the dark hold. And of course that's jumping the gun. We're not there yet, but I haven't seen it either. Spoiler yeah. warning. So, you know, uh, but you know, you saw the, the, you, know, you saw the, uh, the stinger here at the end where she's yes. got it. And, uh, you know, so, I think that's the thing with me that just left such a sour taste in my mouth is that the show wanted you to feel bad for a character who is actually the evil villain of this whole thing. And that's what really bothers me about the entire series because I'm never really truly caught up in the grief of Wanda because I'm too focused is it's pretty clear from from very early that there's just something completely not right about this whole situation and what she's actually doing and it's like okay i i I just can't feel sorry for you when you're subjecting this amount of people to this all to suit your own whims and desires like that's that's evil 
I can't disagree. It, we both love Star Wars very much, and it sure seems to me that Wanda has gone full Sith in this series. Oh, she's like where, Anakin on steroids. Yep. Where she has, well, I mean, Anakin did do a few things which are arguably worse. At least the people in the town she didn't slaughter. They, she may have had put them in a living hell, this but at true. least they yeah. survived at the end. Uh, Anakin did cross a couple other lines, let's be honest. Um, but to, you know, I'm going to ask you a question that I think gets to your point. And it's a question that I'm just asking myself now as we discuss the show. But in all honesty, we know that Agnes is an antagonist. They telegraph it early on. And then we've got the big reveal about it's where she comes Agnes. from. And everything. Right. But can you tell me what the substantive moral or ethical difference between Wanda and Agnes even is is there any because if not then my antagonist who i'm supposed to treat as a villain that i want wanda to vanquish i don't understand why i would care whether either one of them win i feel more pity for vision at the end of this who has been given the sweet release of death and is dragged back from the grave to exist as something he's not quite sure what he is anymore He's almost like Frankenstein's monster now. He he was this beautiful, uh, mm -hmm. you know, accidental creation of of you know uh, mm -hmm. of one of the Infinity Gems, yeah. and now he's this colorless monster that's not sure if he wants to be a hero or not. Uh, you know, like he flies off at the end, and I'm like, so what's up, bro? Like, yeah. what's going on yeah. here? Yeah, I think that you have a, a really good point in that. And and what it comes down to, and the problem is that I think that it's too little too late, is that Wanda is willing to save all of the people. But basically after everybody knows what she's doing and... When her own power basically is being threatened. Because it's not as though she's, she knows at this point she's not ever, she's not going to be able to keep this family. She's not even going to be able to keep vision. And so really it comes down to her protecting herself and her own power against somebody who would take that from her. And mm -hmm. so I think you, you raise a great point, which is I'm not left in a place where I really care that much about the main character because what she's doing is not heroic whatsoever. And you're a hundred percent right that this whole show kind of in the background being about them trying to bring back vision is terrifyingly sad because mm -hmm. of the way in which this character is treated as just this, avatar of Wanda's pain and she doesn't even care what it does to create this version of him to just try and satiate her her you know grief she doesn't really care about him because she there are times we see in the show where she literally tries to make him do what she wants 
She just mm-hmm. wants meat puppets, basically. And it's just a little bit terrifying that that's the case. Yes. And speaking of bringing characters back, I think that this is an organic moment to just jump right at that one. <laughs> the gimmick of bringing back Quicksilver, but having him played by the guy from those 20th Century Fox movies where they bought the studio so that Iceheart, I'm sorry, Iger could have that franchise worked back in. What a gimmick. Do you think it was a good gimmick? Do you think it was a cheap gimmick? Or is it somewhere in between where you saw it first and you said, oh, cool, and then it wore off? Or was it something you were totally on board with the whole time he was there? I think it is a cheap gimmick because it means nothing in the end. It had nothing to do with them kind of trying to start to, like, peak the idea that mutants exist which spoiler alert as we move through phase four there are going to be references to mutants and so it's frustrating that this doesn't actually play into that that it's actually just a cheap trick for everybody to be like hey and then it turns out in the end he's just an actor who has been bewitched to play this part by Agnes. And you know what? that is frustrating. Full stop. I'm, I, I honestly, as much as I love that they went into Dick Van Dyke, but also something that I think would have been great because I do believe it's a show that bridged the black and white to color gap. Just to go back to the concept, I would have been so much more interested if more of this show had been framed as a bewitched concept the the show yeah, bewitched, they don't do it long enough more of that and ha- because that then you could have really leaned into the actors changing sort of idea mm-hmm. yeah uh because you know the husband switches uh you know between seasons anyway that, that's neither here nor there really that's just a random thought popping into my brain feel free to edit it out later if you want to but i, I i'm right with you where for a half second, it was that moment of, oh, hey, it's the other Quicksilver. And then after that, it was, oh, it's the other the other Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they need to address Quicksilver because it's part of her grief. But the whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself, could they just, did they not want to bring, like, was it an Ed Norton situation where they just didn't mm-hmm. want to bring the actor back? Or was it, you know, so I know that there are plenty of people who would disagree with us on this and I respect that. I understand it. It's just for me, it it doesn't work as well as it should have. And I think it actually pulls me out of the, of the, the larger arc because it's so meta that it reminds Mm -hmm. me of the conceit on top of the conceit on top of the connected universe. Right. And so it just sort of sags under its own weight if you will well and i think you know they it's kind of interesting because they do that like you know they bring in all of these other characters like um monica rambo and then they bring in uh you know darcy uh and then of course they also bring in um woo you know we've we've seen all of these characters and other 
um, other places, you know, whether it was Ant-Man or whether it was Captain Marvel or, you know, uh, in the Thor movies. And so, which, you know, in many ways, when you're doing a show like this, it does make sense because this feels even more, I guess, in some ways comic booky because you just kind of bring in these these characters that, you know, I mean, characters in comic books pop up in each other's, you know, uh, things all the time. And so I think that's something that's, you know, it doesn't bother me or anything, but it was one of the places where... I felt like this series was doing a lot of things and especially them trying to set up the idea of Monica Rambo becoming Spectrum, which I'm guessing is going to play out in the Marvel's movie. And then possibly, sure. I mean, I, she didn't even play out in in Miss Marvel, which was kind of strange to me. Uh, so spoilers, I, haven't seen that one either. Yeah, so remember, you know, you, you know, this is something we didn't tease enough at the beginning. I don't think I know very little about Phase Four. I, there's a whole lot of it I haven't seen, which is making me really look forward to this sort of thing. But to your point, imagine how. Imagine how, uh, this is too big a word, but how bewildering it is for somebody who might have tapped out a little bit further down the line. I'm I'm sort of terrified, and bringing up Monica Rambeau is, is a great example. I'm sort of terrified to progress through phase four, because it sure seems to me, based on this show and some of the reactions to later stuff that I've seen... And what you just dropped a hint about, about, you know, Miss Marvel. It seems to me that I need to be bracing myself for a little bit of disappointment, whereas I might have been very pleased with the first three phases overall, with the exception of Thor Ragnarok. And that would be like, how much trepidation should I be approaching phase four with? How much of a warning <laughs> signal was WandaVision, I guess? Well, I mean, you know, it's going to be really interesting because I know there are things that you haven't seen. There's actually some things I haven't seen. You know, I ha I never dove into the What If series. Um, and so oh, there's that's some right. things yeah. like that that I haven't touched that we're going to be getting to. So, you know, I, I think, again, it's it's one of those places where, you know, you brought all these characters in and... You know, in, in many ways, like, I don't have any problem with Darcy being in the show, but in all honesty, her role could have been really filled by anyone. Um, You know, at least Monica Rambeau's story, her getting her powers has to do with her going through the barrier multiple times, and it triggers in her that change. So that's how she becomes Spectrum. So, okay, that's that's well done. You know, I have no idea. I have no problem with Randall Park as Jimmy Woo being here because he's, you know, he's... Oh, he was in Ant-Man. He's hysterical. He's a delight. Uh, yeah, I, I, he's, I think he's, he's one of the best parts of the show. <laughs> he He's a terrific comic actor. He's an incredible... He is... 
He's one of those actors that I always enjoy seeing because he's incredibly gifted in terms of the facial expressions that he can make because film is a visual medium. It's very important for the camera to like the person on the other end of it that, that, that the lens is pointed at. And I think the camera loves him. Yeah. And I, like I he has that just natural charisma that mm-hmm. just can light up any scene. Yeah. And so I, yeah. I think he, he's a joy to have in this show. I, I honestly think he kept me going at certain points. Yeah. I do have a question, though, is that what we end up having is it's not S.H.I.E.L.D., but we have another acronym named yeah. organization called S.W.O.R.D. here that apparently Monica Rambo's mother helped start that I don't remember ever hearing about in any of the other parts of phases one two or three so this feels like a new addition and it just seemed very strange that we had this brand new organization that wasn't the department of damage control that we get in the spider-man movies it's not shield it's sword Mm-hmm. yes which the name okay look I'm willing to let that one slide specifically because of the fact that uh, especially I hate like even, you know, pulling this sort of card or whatever. But growing up so close to D.C. Metro, there are agencies within agencies where people who work at the agencies don't know that the agencies at the other agencies exist (laughs) and or don't. This is completely believable government to me. Where it's like, oh, wait, there's another one that does the same thing, but slightly different. And they both just soak up money so that, okay, cool, cool. I get it. I get it. Like, take a stroll through the Pentagon at some point, and there there are legends. There was a guy who set up an office in the Pentagon back, I want to say it was like the 70s or the 80s, where he literally just walked in and sat in a janitor's closet the same way that Elaine did in Seinfeld so that she could order um, uh, her favorite Chinese food. That wouldn't deliver to the other side of the building that she lived on. Like, <laughs> it's completely believable that that's great. You know, you walk in, it's like, oh, sword. I didn't hear about sword before. That's okay. You didn't hear about the NSA until you heard about the NSA. And you don't, nobody knows about S7. They know about Area 53. They don't know about S7. Oh, wait. Oops. Did I invent something? Sorry. <laughs> I okay. I don't want to get blown up before the end of the show. So I'll stop talking. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do, I, I think. One of the questions that I I have to come to here, which I think is really important, uh, as always with these shows, um, is we we talked a little bit about the end and our disappointment in it. But I think what strikes me the most is that there's literally no repercussions for Wanda. Not a one. No punishment. Anything like Mm -mm. how is that possible? Well. She's an Avenger, and that's why? Question mark? That's about it. That's what. I, that's all I got for you. Sorry. That's it. Like, I got nothing else. Yeah, it just, it leaves me with a really, you know, sour taste in my mouth that not only do we treat this character... As if we should feel sorry for her, but then we don't deal with the repercussions that somebody this powerful has done something this awful 
and we just let her like walk away. It's cool. You know, just don't nobody even goes like, hey, maybe just don't do that again. Yeah. Or, you know, honestly, embrace it at the end and have her basically say, I'm the bad guy. That's that's interesting to me, because Mm -hmm. that means the next time I, I encounter her. Then I can look at this as her episode three and say, oh, okay, we have to redeem her. And even Anakin yeah. expresses regret at the end of episode three. Even though we know Darth Vader is one of the biggest bastards in the galaxy. I know, another Star Wars reference. Go figure. But listen to aggressive negotiations. But even at the end of episode three, Anakin has a moment of regret. Even though he's become one of the worst evils in the history of the galaxy, he still has that moment of, oh no, what did I do? For Wanda not to have that just doesn't feel Right. Even if she goes off to be the bad guy, there should at least be a moment of, yep. oh, I really screwed this one up, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't get it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and I think it really hurts the show, uh, and it really hurts the character and me really caring about them in the future. And so... One last question uh, that I have for you, which is, you know, this is the first uh, Disney Plus show uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're used to big screen spectacle. I guess maybe I have two more questions, but uh, how how does the show look? How did it feel? Uh, did it feel like it fit within the cinematic universe? Did it did the effects work for you? I mean, obviously, that's hugely important uh, in a show like this to feel like it fits within what came before on the big screen yeah i mean i think it looks interesting i i'll i'll honestly say it looks more interesting and consistent than thor ragnarok uh you know this is one of their better efforts visually i think i i do think that it's at the very least within the context of each episode cohesive and i think that Mm -hmm. a lot of the color replacement stuff that they did was very interesting and I, right. yeah, it, I would, I would argue that they come out swinging with this one. It looked like they spent the money to get it where they wanted mm-hmm. it to be. And yeah. so, sure, visually, I, I'm down with it. I agree with you. I think one of the things that really helps them is that their conceit <laughs> that they are mimicking all of these TV shows means that they can look like a TV show. That's great. Sure. It's real smart. But I would also point to the fight between Vision and Anti-Vision at the end. That's just what I call it, folks. But Vision and Anti-Vision, their fight mm-hmm. is really well done. Yeah. It, really, yep. really well done. That's the type of, like, I look at that and I'm like, that would have held up on a big screen to see mm-hmm. that fight. Yeah. And uh, so I, I would have been down with that for, for sure. No, I, I agree with you for the most part. I think the show does look pretty stinking good for the most part. And what be interesting is to see if that quality holds up in the successive shows that we're going to get, you know, I mean, uh, we get Falcon Winter Soldier and Loki and uh, Hawkeye, Moon Knight, um, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk. I mean, so all of these shows keep coming out and to see if the quality stays the same, it's going to be really interesting. So uh, the last question, I I think for me, that I continually kind of ask myself as I'm watching these shows, uh, and I would like to do as we walk through this, is should this have been a movie? 
instead of a TV show. Um, could they have done this and done it more successfully in a two and a half hour film rather than for this show, nine episodes? I think they could have done it. I do. I, I think they could have done it. Should they? I don't know. I think that's one of those ones you can't ever answer. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about like, did it seem like they adapted for it doesn't it doesn't really seem like they had a finished script and then they said now we have to turn this into a TV show. So at the very mm-hmm. least this feels like it was written for television. Right. Yeah. Um which is not a knock. It's but it's writing for a different medium. Just like writing for a novel is different mm-hmm. than writing a screenplay, is different than writing a comic book, is different than writing and so on and so forth. So should it have been? I'm going to say no, but I do think it should have been a shorter show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do think uh, that, especially as, as, as rewatching this, um, as I, I have uh, to get ready for this, because it's obviously been a very long time since I've seen this, this series. I, I think that what would have made this show a better show is that if they had shortened it. And I think six episodes at most is probably what would have been needed. Uh, I think it would have made it a better show, um, and it would have maybe made some of the thematic elements just feel more cohesive, better, because there's some of the places where I do feel like there's a little bit of not filler or whatever, but they again, they're just becoming kind of too enamored with their concept and premise, which is we're shifting through all of these different TV series from the past. Mm-hmm. And so with that, then I guess, John, what are you going to rate WandaVision? Are we just going with stars or are we saying hexes? Like what, what are we saying here? What's our scale? Are we being cutesy uh, let's about do, it? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. I think we should do hexes. All right. I, I'm prepared for the torrent of whatever's coming at me with this one. Sorry. It gets a two out of five from me. This is not something where I really was in love with it. And it burned a lot of my goodwill away by the end of it because I did not care for how it wrapped up. That's just the long, I mean, that that's it to a T. If, if I had been more down with where they got her at the end and to give full credit to Elizabeth Olsen, she gives a great performance. This is the material. This is on the material. This is not on her. She showed up to work and I can honestly say that I just wish that the underlying material had been up to her performance and not vice versa. So two out of five for me. Man, I I, uh, couldn't have said it better. Uh, Two out of five hexes for me as well. Uh, I, I think this is a disappointing beginning to phase four i think it is uh bad character development it's good character assassination and Hmm. that's really what hurts it is that i don't really care about the character of wanda 
by the end of this, but I'm really interested to find out what happens to Vision. So, you know, those those two stars really come into play there. Um, but yeah, uh, and, and it, again, it, it's not about the acting. I, you, you nailed it. Elizabeth Olsen um, really gives a great performance through all of these episodes. You know, she is put through the ringer when it comes to what she's trying to portray. Uh, I just don't think the show works in the way that they want it to. And and part of that is by allowing this character to get away with almost murder, we'll call it mind murder, of people for an extended period of time and pretend like that's that's fine. That's, I'm sure it's fine. So, <laughs> um, but, John, as always, it's time to now rank the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we begin Phase 4. Oh, man, come on, bro. Uh, I didn't come prepared for this. So Isn't I'm that what your letterbox th- is for, John? I guess so. I, uh, You know what? I'll just come at it and I'll say this. This isn't bottom of the heap. I, I still enjoyed it more than Captain Marvel and Thor Ragnarok. Um, so I'll figure it out by next time. But it's, it's definitely lower third, uh, precisely where... I still have to mull on that a little bit because I'm not going to sit here and pretend like everything that Marvel delivered before this moment in time was gold. So I, I'm going to kick the can down the road and I'm going to say, let's see how Falcon and the winter soldier holds up on a rewatch and see, see how this shakes out. It's a good question. It's a good question, and I did come prepared, so uh, everybody knows me now as the uh, yes. the better host of the show. Um, but, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. That's why you get paid twice as much as I do. Exactly. Exactly. Two times so, zero is nothing. Yes. I'll, I'll run through real quick. Uh, of course, Winter Soldier, number one, because that's never going to be dethroned, I don't think. Uh, Iron Man, Iron Man 3, Civil War, Endgame, the first Avenger, Black Panther, Guardians 2, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, Incredible Hulk, Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man and Wasp, Avengers, Far From Home, Infinity War, Thor, The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Howard the Duck. That's right, we threw that in there. So if you haven't uh, heard that, you guys should go back and listen to that. Uh, Age of Ultron, Captain Marvel, WandaVision, and at the bottom still, Thor Ragnarok. Okay. That's right. WandaVision is at the very bottom. I'm going to go on the fly here. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on the fly. Fine. Oh, I love it. Yes. Let's let's do this on the fly. All right, y'all y'all prepared for this? Same with me. Winter Soldier. I mean, I don't know how that's ever going to get toppled, honestly. Well, like, I mean, unless Logan somehow became canon for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah, I, I don't know. Much. <laughs> Iron Man 3, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, Iron Man, Avengers Endgame, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange, Captain America Civil War, Captain America the First Avenger, Ant-Man and the Wasp, The Incredible Hulk, Avengers Infinity War, Thor, because you're wrong about that one, Spider-Man Homecoming, The Avengers, Howard the Duck, WandaVision, 
Spider-Man Far From Home, Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Captain Marvel, because at the very least, because these all, all of those came in at two stars, at the very least, WandaVision tried something unique and new and fresh, whereas everything that comes in after WandaVision for me is just something that tortured the formula to the point that I never, ever want to even think about it yeah. again. And that's a but good, keep in it, mind, it, Howard the Duck, still better. Mm-hmm. Because Howard the Duck is at least insane in what it attempts to do. So it's true. There's our differentiating factors. And it's tough factors. for me because Captain Marvel got one and a half stars, but WandaVision got two. But I'm not sure, honestly, which one I'd rather rewatch. Yeah, it's a toss up, you know. So, uh, you know, that that may change in the future. Who knows? But, uh, John, uh, this is so much fun uh, to be back here. Uh, just to let everybody know. Uh, so, because we're doing a lot more TV shows now, for in fact, we start off with three TV shows in a row. So, what we're going to do is we're going to be kind of coming at this every month. There may be some months where maybe we've got movies back to back and we it's a little bit easier to to do that. Maybe we'll you know, double up that month or something. We'll we'll figure that out when we get there. But we've got a lot of television shows uh to watch here especially at the beginning. So we're going to be coming at you every month uh with more Assembling Avengers plus. You know what? It also just helps us stay a little bit behind the cinematic universe. So the whole point of this show is to kind of come at it minus the hype. Uh, And so right now we're going to be about a year or so out from when all of these things have come out. And that's a good place for us to be. So you'll be finding us in the 602 club feed every month coming at you. Of course, next we've got the Falcon and winter soldier. So you can watch that with us and be ready. But John, if people want to catch up with you and talk about how great your list really was, where would they find you? Well, find me as Kessel junkie out there online. And you can find me over on the nerd party network, co-hosting one show called house lights, which looks at the works of directors through all sorts of zany combinations. And Also, as part of Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast of a unique sort with my co-host, who usually comes more prepared still to that one, you, Matt Rushing. Well, and of course, uh, you could find me all over the place here on the 602 Club feed, uh, and of course, all over social media. Uh, You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, Vero, under the name Matt Rushing 2 uh, and then here on the network, when I'm not in the 602 Club or doing Snyder Cuts or Assembling Avengers with John, you can also find me doing literary treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, Strange New Worlds. Uh, we got a show called Saddle Up and Artificial Tango, all about Star Trek Picard. And then when I'm not on aggressive negotiations over on the Nerd Party with John, you can find me on a completed show I did with Drea Coffin where we talk about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time on Owl Post. But thank you so much for joining us. Avengers! Avengers!